Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. And this is one that I have been anticipating, we've been talking about doing, and the timing is perfect. On the afternoon after the Warriors won the NBA championship, their fourth in eight years. Nick, are, are you a, do I introduce you as a Warriors super fan? I don't know what the definition of super fan is, but one of oh, the yeah. biggest, yeah. Yes, one of the biggest Warrior sure. fans I know, Nick Braun, the gifted actor who you probably almost certainly know from his role as Greg Hirsch in Succession, to name uh, a few roles, but certainly it starts with Super Warriors fan, oh, yeah. Nick Braun. Oh, Nick, yeah. what, how, how did we celebrate this championship last night? Because I know you weren't in Boston. I thought you might be there, but... I was hoping to be in Boston. I was going to be at game seven if there was a game seven. Not that I was praying for a game seven. I'm praying for, for the ship, obviously. But, um, but I wanted to be at one of these games. I mean, what a perfect showdown. Um, I will say when the dubs were down two to one, I, I had some fears. You know, things were feeling a little dicey if they didn't pull that game four out. It could, you know, if they went down three to one on the Celtics team, I think it might have been, it might have been over. But anyway, um, the right thing happened. I'm just, I'm, I'm a massive, massive Warriors fan. I, I probably watched, you know, seventy-eight out of eighty-two games this year. You know, I, I don't miss a game. I try my very best not to miss a game. Um, I just love these guys. I think every one of them. They're just, I mean, I could break them all down. Maybe, maybe that's what we're going to do here for an hour, but, uh, <laughs> but also just, uh, just, just excited. I mean, I didn't, I didn't pop any, uh, bottles of my own last night. I'm sure, I'm sure they were up in Boston, but, um, but I, I, you know, it just felt really nice. You text all your fellow Warriors fans, you, you know, I'm texting you. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't know. It was, it was nice. It felt really good. And it, and it felt good to see Steph so emotional as well. I was, I was, he's a guy who never cracks in that way. So that was, that was meaningful to watch. Yeah, it really was. And you, you could feel it being around the court after the game. And, and seeing the way the Warriors lingered on the court at TD Garden in Boston. And it wasn't for any other reason than you could just see them wanting to soak this one in. I don't remember this. Mm with any of the other championships, even ones they won at home, they stayed out there and they took pictures and they hugged. And yeah, you could just see, and, and of course, Steph, you saw the emotion in the immediate moments and then the rest of the night. I, I It feels like their fans felt the same thing that, because you you didn't know if this was coming again. You, you thought maybe nobody knew if the run was coming. And I don't think even this Golden State team, as confident as they were, you know, they needed Clay to come back and be himself again, and that happened. And I wasn't so sure this was a team during the season, I thought, that was supremely confident that they were a championship team, and they evolved into it again. Yeah, yeah. I guess you don't really know until the playoffs start and you start getting, you know, banged around and you get the real test of, you know, of of – what it means this specific year to win this, um, you know, I mean, GP two getting clocked in the head and, 
and it looking really bad. And they're like, yeah, but he could be back for finals if they go to the finals. And then he's back in the finals and he's, he's so essential um, to, I think the way they won these games. Um, But, but yeah, back to what you said, I think that there, there was a real like sweet feeling for them. Like, it's always going to be good. You're always going to see Clay and Steph hyped, but but I agree there was they kind of reveled in it in a way that I and and Steph specifically felt unafraid to be hyped. And he's such a modest guy. You know, he's such a modest player. He he never wants to um to it, it's almost like he's always like thinking about the future. Yeah, this was good, you know, and a lot of NBA players do that. It's kind of the nature of the game. But it felt like he was just there celebrating, connecting with everybody. The hugs were like these deep, meaningful hugs. I mean, it's crazy how closely we're watching this as it's happening. And maybe in, in real life, you got an even better look. Um, but I felt it through the screen, too. It felt, it felt different. It felt really meaningful, this one. So, Nick, you grew up between New York and Connecticut. Now, there might be some cynics who would say, okay, how do you become this big Warriors fan except for the way that, like, kids we knew in New York and Connecticut who became, like, big Cowboys fans when they were really good? They weren't Giants fans or Jets fans. Mm -hmm. When did you become a Warriors fan and why? Well, so, yeah, I grew up in, in New York City and Connecticut. Um, I, you know, was a fan of the nineties Knicks. We would go to those games, uh, you know, big, yeah, just big Knicks fan as a kid. And then my dad moved to LA. We, we, me and my brother were huge, you know, Kobe fans in the Kobe heyday. And then, um, I lived in LA and, and, you know, I've been acting since I was a kid just to give a little background. So. I started acting at six, seven years old. I did my first movie at 11 years old. And I always had my, my eyes set on moving to LA and, and doing it out there. So I went to, to college out there and I didn't get into the Clippers too much or the Lakers too much. Once I was there, and my brother, my little brother, Chris, um, went to USF. Um, and so I would go up there all the time. This is from like 2008 on. And, you know, I was up there all the time. Obviously, people are getting into the Warriors. But, but honestly, it was early days, like the first couple of years of, of Steph being on the team. My brother said he went to a game and he paid $4 and sat in like the empty nosebleeds in 2010 or something, 9 or 10. Um, and, and then there was a moment in my career where I'd done a bunch of movies that I thought were going to hit big or, you know, they would be this sort of big momentum swing that you're thinking, all right, like finally I got these big studio movies and, and they just didn't land as most movies don't, you know, it's so hard for things to to do really well. Um, And I kind of just got frustrated with the business and being an actor and, so much there's just so many factors outside of your control um that basically like dictate your career and and i've always loved making music and so my my brother's a musician 
and I moved up to San Francisco and we started making music and he was teaching me how to produce and we were making stuff living in his apartment together. And, you know, this is probably 2015, 2016. Uh, we live in, in the inner Richmond on 21st and Geary and, and, you know, just got, just got hooked. Like we would, you know, sit around in, in his kitchen, laptop on the table, watching Warriors games. And, uh, and so, you know, we grew our obsession together around that time. And, and then I got succession, you know, uh, late 2016. And that was sort of the beginning of me moving away from San Francisco. Sorry, long story, long story to get to it. But I think, you know, we're, we're telling. No, and it's, and it's, this warrior team and this run, it, it was such an easy team, I think, for people to fall in love with. And you talked like those early years with Steph and he had the foot, the ankle injuries. And mm-hmm. I remember reporting on his four year, $44 million extension. And I remember that night people saying, I think they overpaid for him. I think that's, they're going to regret wow. that extension. And it was a kind of a compromise deal right at the deadline, um, uh, that rookie extension deadline. And then, all of a sudden, by the end of that deal, I remember sitting with Steph um, doing it. It was at Emerson College where my daughter just graduated from. We were in the gym there. And I remember I wanted to ask him about now he'd become an MV in the last year of that deal or at the end of it, last year, second to last year, when he'd become an all-NBA player, then an MVP. There were mm-hmm. times he was the lowest paid warrior player on the court. Um, there would be a five-man group that he was the lowest paid player. And if it ever entered his mind, he was at that time was he had signed the contract. You can't change the contract in the NBA. They don't tear it up. And that was interesting to me that he was like, of course, I, I've thought about it, but I don't complain about it. And there's some guys who would, and they would talk about it all the time. And the Warrior guys, front office, teammates, no one had ever heard him once even acknowledge it it was like hey it's a contract i signed it was and of course he was on his way to his max next max deal but the world Mm -hmm. around that team changed right nick so quickly where they went from you know an interesting young team to this perennial champ you know to to a champion to the kevin durant years he leaves and obviously they've climbed that mountain again after you know two years ago winning 15 games and and it's uh and they're built to is I'm sure you've you and your warrior friends and and, and you're thinking about it. They're they're built to keep doing this. The Steph and mm-hmm. Clay and and Wiggins, who I'm I'm sure they're going to resign. I'm confident they'll resign. There's no why would he ever leave there? And and they're willing to pay and go into even deeper in luxury tax. This thing's going to go on. It, it feels really strong. It does feel strong. I mean, I was thinking about it today the bench that didn't even get to play really in these finals, you know, Kaminga, Moody, Juan Toscano, Bielitsa got some time, but, um, but those guys are really good. And, you know, especially Kaminga, Kaminga feels like kind of the future of the franchise. He's the next, you know, Jordan Poole, who's, who's, you know, who came in and became kind of a defining part of the team this year, obviously. Um, GP2, who, you know, I've, I've talked to you about a bunch of times. I feel like he's the young Iggy. It's like they're just breeding a new crop of similar, like, incredibly talented, but 
you know, well-fostered um, guys, you know, Steve, I don't know what he does, but he, he has the, you know, the, the secret sauce to just empower these guys, find their identity, bring it up. And, and they're all so confident when they hit the court from play, you know, the first play they jump on, boom, they're in it. They're helpful. Um, and, and so I agree. It's, things are looking really good and it's interesting to watch Steph's game morph and clay. I mean, you know, Steph used to be this kind of lankier kind of slipperier kind of guy. Now he's, he's a bigger kind of mass on the court, but he's still so sneaky. And he, you know, like in that play with Horford, as he sort of races him to the hoop, he always knows how to get his shoulder, you know, into somebody and basically beat him to the hoop. And he, and, and, you know, I was going to ask you about this actually, because obviously for a coach, it's like, yeah, Steph Curry. Okay. How do we defend Steph Curry? And all these coaches try to come up with their strategies and whatnot, but is he just a, sort of an undefendable person? Because it looks like he'll just sort of dance. He'll dance with you, you know, a couple moves, maybe it's five, six moves. Maybe he'll, he'll drop the ball. It's a mistake. Then he makes something beautiful happen out of the mistake. I mean, he's, he's, he's willing to fail. He goes and he gets blocked and he goes, you know, plenty of turnovers and stuff. But at the end of the day, like he's got, he's got the cheat codes. So how, how, what do you, what do these coaches say that they tried and that failed or, you know, it must be a lengthy, lengthy discussion going into a series. What are we going to do about him? And once again, you know, the Celtics more specifically couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, you think of you and you talked about Steph's evolution. He got physically stronger over time. He could take contact yeah. better, play through contact. Mm-hmm. He's an underrated finisher at the rim, just a great ability in the paint to finish with contact, but also finish with that floater and an incredible passer. And he can pass off of each either hand and then getting clay back when, you know, teams can load up on you when you don't have, you know, the, the when you have that kind of talent around you, um, it's easier to load up on one player and clay getting back and playing again at a, at a high level. And I know he was playing with a pretty sprained ankle last night, playing through injury. I, I know from game five when he kind of tweaked it and, and he's just so, um, you know, he redefined what a good shot was. He redefined where you have to defend the player on the court, which is literally when he crosses mid court, you've got to be defending him. He extended mm-hmm. defense. And and so all of those factors and yeah, you saw in this series, um, the whole key to this thing and they all knew it no matter bringing in uh, Wiggins, the development of Jordan Poole, which has been really, he, he's been a revelation, but getting clay back at a high level, I think, was they all felt we've got to be able to do that to win again. And certainly he's got a big contract and you're not going to move that um, if he's not able to play it at a high level again. And he did. And him coming back mm-hmm. played and and he's such a part of the core and, and the emotional core of that team and Draymond Green and what he's made. It's just a group that fits together. And it was interesting. I think they broke the re- – they did break the record, I think, for uh, – trio playoff victories of Ginobili, Tim Duncan, and Tony Parker. And in their own way, they 
they're very different, but Steve Kerr certainly likes to compare Steph to Tim Duncan. Um, but there's just such a – Steph doesn't get enough credit for who he is, how he leads, how he handled the whole Kevin Durant thing, Durant coming, Durant leaving, and, and winning in between there. Um, he allowed that franchise to just keep going, and he allows them to keep going. And, um, you know, Duncan – he doesn't say a lot. And Duncan was the same way. You talk about like in San Antonio, people would always say that people kind of thought it was this utopia in the NBA. And they talk about Spurs culture, the way they do Golden State. And, you know, the people in San Antonio would always tell you, it's not like we didn't have issues in the locker room. It's not like things didn't um, present themselves that were problems. But Tim Duncan always took care of it within the walls of the locker room. It didn't always get out. And I think mm. Steph's ability to lead the group, command respect, handle issues that come up, um, because they do everywhere, people don't see it. It's not being on the court. And Draymond's leadership is different. You can see it. You can see him. Mm-hmm. He's different. And Steph allows Dray has always allowed Draymond to be who Draymond is. And the team needed that. It, and, and they need what Steph – it's just the, – the, the, talk about it with Steve Kerr that the chemistry of it and I think Steve's experiences with the Bulls with Phil Jackson and Michael with the Spurs and the years he spent there he was so perfectly qualified as a guy who had never coached before to come in and be the right guy for that team at the right time and now one of the great coaches in history obviously with um, his fourth championship as a as a head coach yeah, it's hard to it's hard to pin you know it's hard to hard to pin it on one thing. I guess you have several coaches on the team. It's probably the same on on every team in a way. But you got Iguodala over there grabbing GP two. You got Steph supporting the guys. Sort of you can you know not as loudly as you're saying as Draymond. You got Steve making good calls. I mean, what what do you think was a was a moment where Steve made a call that only Steve would call like I mean we you know we saw that he pulled Draymond in that that game where Draymond was kind of um you know losing it but but what when when you see Steve do do something you're like ah there it is there's the coaching greatness what I I think you mentioned it with Draymond is knowing how to coaching Draymond and coaching when he had to coach through the Draymond Kevin Durant issues and how that impacted the team there was a lot that had to be dealt with and you know, I know earlier in his tenure as head coach, he'd call Tom Izzo a lot more for advice because Tom Izzo, you know, it's funny. A lot of guys in the NBA calling the college coach doesn't, you know him better than a college coach did because they were only there for five or six months as a one-and-done freshman. Draymond played four years of college basketball. He's the rare NBA all-star who was a four-year player. Tom Izzo mm-hmm. really knows how to coach him because he coached him. I mean, he – they were close and they had ups and downs. It wasn't just a one, one big 10 season uh, partnership. And so I do think how Steve handles people is really important. Bob Myers, their GM, all of them together. Um, it's just, a, there's a remarkable, the, the staying power that group has had and um, you know, and an owner who's willing ownership, who's willing to spend. I mean, they're, they're luxury tax They're Listen, they benefit Nick from, you know, 
let's say this offseason, Jordan Poole is up for his rookie extension. Let's say he gets 25, 26, 27 million a year, whatever it's going to be. Most wow. other teams would say, okay, if we're going to pay Jordan Poole, we can't keep Draymond Green. We can't pay him too, or we can't keep Clay Thompson or Wiggins, whoever it is. We can't have all four of those guys. Maybe we can't re sign Looney. Golden State's willing two years from now, if they keep this group together and they seem determined to, they're looking at like a $475 million payroll, $275 million luxury tax. That's There aren't many teams able or willing to do that, but it's within the rules. They have an owner who wants to win, who's has a very profitable new building, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so they can keep – they don't have to make maybe some of the hard decisions others do, but you're the one who drafted Jordan Poole in the 20s and developed them. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the views from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last-minute seats. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Woj, W-O-J, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Nick, one thing I want to ask you, you talked yeah. about your career, your acting career changing with succession um, in the mid-2015-16, and, and yeah. the Warriors now are at a, you know, at an apex how did those two go hand in hand in your life? Because like I said, you, you, you're, you're watching Warrior games every night, and now all of a sudden your career is going in a new place. I mean, this succession, playing Greg, Gregory Hirsch, it changed your life. Mm-hmm. It definitely did. It, it's the greatest thing that's, that's happened in my career, hands down. Um, it's funny you, you sort of pair the two together because – it's going to sound really stupid and I've never said this, but we're, we're doing a bad basketball podcast. So, um, you know, sometimes this is going to sound, 
very dumb possibly, but there are these times, there are these like buzzer beater times on set. That's like, we have one more take and the sun is setting and it's about to go down and the light is perfect. And we have a hundred background and they're all here. And if we have to go 10 more minutes, we have to pay them all 500 you know, bucks more. There are these like times as an actor where you have to nail it. And I do think of those times as like my Steph Curry buzzer beater times. And cause I'm like, you know, I consider myself in the, uh, this all might just be cringy and, and, and feel free to tell me if so, but I'm not, I'm not an athlete. I didn't, you know, I, I played some tennis. I played some golf. I played some, I'm six foot seven. So I obviously played some basketball, but, but um, I hate running. And so, uh, so I'm in this show and, it's in the big leagues. I consider it like, you know, it's like we're in the NBA of, of TV and I'm on a f-ing awesome team with a group of, I mean, you know, it's like, we're trying to win the ship. We're trying to, we're trying to be the best. We're trying to make the best possible show. Um, you know, the amount of talent I'm around in every capacity, if you want to call Jesse Armstrong or, or Steve Kerr, sure. We can do all the parallels, you know? Um, because it's, it's true and it's real. And, and when you're filming, there is this kind of pressurized environment. Like we have to shoot this today. We are paying a hundred thousand dollars for this hotel room only for tonight. We will never come back here. We must get it and it must be good or else it gets cut from the show. Um, and, and, and I find I, I see every scene as an opportunity for something really special to happen for something really great. And cause the writing is so good. I'm always like, we gotta get this because this could be like, this could be amazing. People need to see this. We need to nail this. Um, so anyway, that is in my head a lot. I'm like, hit the three, hit the three, baby. Come on. No, it it the parallels absolutely, and it, and it makes it makes perfect sense because, like you said, it is it is a pressurized environment, and the talent. That's the thing, Nick. The talent you are around on that mm-hmm. show. I mean, it is the characters it's listen, it's it's my favorite show. I cannot wait for season 4. I am fascinated cousin Greg in 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 the final episode I you, you, like you make this pact with Tom Wamscams, you're yep. going to the dark side like it feels like Greg is going to change something Something changed there. We'll talk about that. But that group of actors you are with, um, I wonder when you first read the script and you were talking about playing Greg Hirsch, would you have imagined, because he wasn't, he's the one character who's not really you're trying to figure out whether he's really a Roy or not. Is he's not part of the Roy, the the legacy Roy's he's, he's a cousin, he's an interloper. And -hmm. when you're reading that script and and, and you're seeing these characters and you're going to work with Brian Cox and you're going to work with Jeremy strong, would -hmm. you have imagined that people would after season three, there are lots of people who say, Cousin Greg, Nick Braun is my favorite character on that show. Did it feel like it would even be possible with 
who you're who you were playing with and 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 yeah, who you're playing with. I mean, I I don't really think I wasn't like I I'm not like intimidated by it. Like you know, I I'm actually I'm so excited. I'm like I get to look Brian Cox in the eye and see what what he does as an actor. How you know, it's like you get to step in front of these artists and they're going to give you some and you're going to give them some and you're going to see how it bounces off each other. So it's more exciting than anything. Um, I wasn't like, I hope, I hope this works. I kind of think I understood how Greg fit into the, the, the whole pie. It's like, yeah, you have this substantial patriarch, Brian Cox, you have the great sort of, um, you know, but sort of sad character of Kendall, you know, all the sibling dynamics, but I kind of knew where Greg fit in and, and, and where he and Tom and all their, you know, their, their stuff fits in. I will say the first season when Matthew and I were filming these scenes and it was really funny. And at the table reads, it's like, we're cracking up. Everybody's laughing. And then it goes into a Brian Cox, Jeremy Strong, you know, Kieran Culkin scene that's fully loaded and heavy and, and has all these sort of, you know, what are all, all the, all the, the stuff that that part of the show entails. I was like, are these scenes all going to get cut? Is the Tom and Greg thing not going to work? How do we fit into the rest of this show? And, um, and I don't know, you just hope, you hope not, but, it, but it, Jesse, our writer and, and, um, and his writing team, I guess they just figured out like it needs that. Uh, uh, but yeah, going back to, to the team, I, I just, I do feel like I'm with a group that will be hard to beat. It'll be hard to, to go on to things and the camaraderie at this point, but really the best acting comes out of trust and being relaxed. And, you know, I think we all just like really, we love the way we work. We're all fans of each other. And, you know, that's why you see the Warriors together for 10, 11 years and that, and that keeps working, keeps clicking. And we're going on year six since we shot the pilot. So um, we're, we're a tight group. Nick, how do you get back into your, you've evolved from the first day you showed up on set and started as cousin Greg, the characters evolved, you've evolved as a person. How, and then you have, you had the pandemic and you get these long breaks. You maybe mm-hmm. you get some l- longer breaks in between. How do you get back in, to that character is it ever a challenge yeah i think it, it definitely is a daunting thing like okay am i going to be able to do this again you know approaching approaching season two was a bit of that but the show hadn't become a thing after season one it it didn't have the kind of awareness yet and then after season two we you know we did we started to kind of get on people's radars and and won some awards and things. And so the pressure was built and then the pandemic hit and it was an extra year of waiting to shoot. And so day one of season three in a full plastic shield and thick mask and everybody's in masks. I don't even know if these are the same crew members as the last season. It's like, I don't even really know who's here. I'm kind of just stepping on and doing succession, I guess. You know, there's 
and then, then we take the masks off the actors and it's like, okay, all right, here we are, we're doing it. And, you know, you put the suit on and you do the hair the right way. And you get the, I, you know, I, I kind of work on like a certain posture and a voice and a, you know, a, kind of a darty eye and, and, and there's sort of, I don't know, there's a few things that kind of click in once I start reading these lines and I don't know, you stand in the mirror and get the tie length right, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of those things help. You put the right dress shoes on, you know, if I put on Prada shoes, it doesn't feel like Greg. If I put on, you know, some, some uh, worn out, you know, Brooks brothers dress shoes that felt like I've had them for 10 years, like that's more Greg. So um, yeah, stuff like that. And kind of, you kind of sink back in, but until you're shooting, it's like, am I going to, Am I going to do this again? Holy shit. I hope so. Nick, the, the congressional testimony scene, Jesse Armstrong sort of prepared you in a little different way. You, he kind of threw the dialogue at you a little bit last minute, it, different than maybe you might have another scene. How? Because I think it's it's certainly in season three, I think it's one that was memorable and Mm-hmm. You, you testify, you come back into that waiting, that that uh, conference room with the rest of the Roys, and it's probably as viscerally angry as anyone's ever seen you. I mean, you tell mm-hmm. Tom Watt, like, like, I'm going to prison for that guy. Like, I, yeah. I can't believe I just turned down, I'm trying to remember, about $250 million so I can go to prison yep. for that asshole, right? And, and Logan shooed you out of the room, but... What was what was the prep like for that scene in the courtroom where you're, you know, where you're trying to, you know, after you saw Tom go in and just get obliterated and you know you're going into the blender there? So we get our scripts one at a time. And so I don't know, especially in that season, I didn't know what was coming. You know, I, I didn't know what was coming until it got to me, until I read the script. And so we're shooting episode nine, I believe that is. And we had yet to table read 10. Table reads like we get the script the night before. This is the first time anybody gets it. It's the night before the table read. And we sit around a table and, and we hear it and hear what each other are going to do. And we, and we might never again, unless we're in the scene with those people. So always very exciting. But we had not gotten script 10 yet. And so... We're in nine. We're we're filming that stuff. We you know we film this the scene where I'm behind Tom and pass him the note about, or, or maybe that got cut. But but there's a there's a moment where he's accused by the congressional you know by the senators and I'm right behind him, sort of trying to hold in my holy um, expression. And I think at the end of that day, Jesse. Our, our creator had come up, he came up to me and he said, Hey, Nick, can I grab you for a second? Um, so we have a scene at the beginning of 10, which is you in Congress um, and having to defend yourself after that scene where, where your name has been revealed and the, um, how many Tomlets, what is it? How many, how many, how many eggs does it take to break a Tomlet? No. How, how many, yeah, how many Gregs does it take to break? No, how many 
I should know this. <laughs> it's people on T-shirts. Say, people, it's people on T-shirts. On the street. Yeah. What? How do I not know this? Um, but but he so he goes. Can I show you this scene? And if we can, we want to shoot it tomorrow morning. And this is like 9 p.m. And we would be back in 12 hours. And so he shows it to me. It's obviously super funny, but it's like six pages actually. So it's a full rebuttal to whatever the senators are asking me. And he goes through a bunch of stuff and a bunch of the things Tom has done that are horrible that I basically have to sort of, you know, um, defend for him. And obviously there's, there's the, the stuff that's in the scene, but a lot of it got cut either way. It was very exciting and felt completely correct to get thrown these pages last minute and learn them sort of, you know, manically the night before and then go in as Greg and, and try to, you know, sit in front of Congress and, and somehow, you know, get out alive. Uh, and I really like that. I, I like preparing shortly before I shoot a scene because I don't want to plan too much. I like, I, I need to know the lines perfectly, but I love to just let it go where it goes emotionally. And, you know, depending on what the other actor's doing and, I leave a lot of room for just, you know, the craziness of the moment or some background person bumping into me and me reacting to it. Or, you know, uh, oh, Dan just said, you can't make a Tom without, without breaking a few Greg's. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it is. Uh, Got to remember that. Um, but anyway, so that's the way I like to work and, and it fit right in. And um, I love that Jesse, trusted me to to learn it the night before um that was that was a very fun one there was another one a little like that and we we had talked about this before the uh logan roy testimonial when he goes back to uh ireland and he has um you know that big in his hometown and he goes back and mm -hmm. uh kendall does his ode to the OG does his ode to uh, Logan does the rap. And when you watch the reactions of, of your colleagues, like people were legitimately, I don't, they had not seen him do it. You were the only one who had heard the, heard him singing the rap, doing it. I think Karen Culkin, uh, his his siblings on the show they they hadn't but there was a reason right jeremy strong had a reason that you should be familiar with it right which i thought was really interesting and and and, mm -hmm. and how you guys saw the characters well kendall has given greg an apartment in the same building as him he's a few floors below and um uh but in a great spot so he gives him that apartment and Jer jeremy and i thought that Kendall would have rehearsed this rap uh, in front of Greg and gotten notes from Greg. And, um, and that would have been a fun bro moment for them. I don't think Kendall would have trusted that, that performance with anyone else. And right before Jeremy uh, performed it, you know, and, and we filmed it, he was, you know, he brought me into his trailer and he showed, showed me the rap and he was doing it, you know, over and over and 
I was, you know, we were jumping around his trailer, shaking it, like, and everybody was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on down there? And we were just so hyped. I was like, hell yeah, dude. And he was like, you got to come up with me. And I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, dude, you, yo, Greg should be on stage with me. You got to come up. And so he, you know, he asked, he tried to get me on stage with him for this rap to be, you know, like his hype man. And, um, and, and I think luckily that idea, uh, got shot down, but it worked, it worked with you nodding. You were nodding and singing the words along and it, 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 there was that familiarity that it was different than everybody else who just had shock on their face. Yes. Yeah. That was enough alone to be like, why does Greg know this? And (laughs) why, why is this not a shock to him? Um, but that was really fun. I mean, that's working with Jeremy, you know, he's, he's open to any of it. And, um, and man, he's, he's just so good. That was such a fun moment. And he took, he took it as seriously as you can take a performance. Like that was not funny for him. That was not a joke rap. He was rehearsing and, and pacing beforehand because he, as Kendall wanted to do a great job. Um, I have it on my playlist. I have it on my playlist. I listen to it. I don't. It's it, good. The, the, it's good. It's good. It's, a it's great. It's a banger. Yeah, he can he can rap, and then he sings in season three in his uh, uh, the opening scene of his birthday episode. The Billy Joel, yeah, great singer. I mean, let it out, let it out, man. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here, and guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks. Predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Nick, when did you... You've been acting all of your adult life and much of your childhood and you're recognized as an actor. It wasn't like what succession wasn't the first time people recognized you on the street, but something changed, right? Like, and was it in season three where all of a sudden people are reacting to you in a way that you've not experienced? You've lived in LA, you've been in New York, you probably walked Mm -hmm. fairly anonymously through the streets I don't imagine that happens anymore. I don't think it happens anymore. I've been with you enough places to know it does not happen. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't happen anymore. Um, it's still, yeah, it's, it did change. Um, I guess I would say after season two, I think it changed for everybody on the show. Um, especially cause I live in New York and, and few of us live in New York, few in London. Uh, you know, these are cities that, that watch it and, and, and love it. So, you know, living here, it's different. Um, 
it's, I mean, it's great. You know, the, the goal of working as an actor, making movies and television and doing this medium is like, is people in, having enjoyment, like loving a story, loving characters. And so, you know, the, the recognizing thing is, is it's, it's, it means we've done a good job. And for people to love Greg and quote this um, Tom Litz thing that I can't even quote myself, uh, you know, like that's the best. And, and um, I'd rather be in something that makes people uh, feel like that and learn the lines and play, play back the scenes and um, rewatch the season multiple times, which people do like that's, you know, that's an amazing thing. So I'm pretty grateful for it, even though it's, yeah, life does change. You, you, you have to do things a bit differently, but it's good. Your life as an NBA going to games changed. You went from like you and your brother are going to buy $5 tickets in Oakland to go to a game to now you go to Staples or no, excuse me. It's not Staples. It is crypto.com arena. When you go to LA live right now, like you're, you're in celebrity seat. You, you, you call, you get tickets. That's for an NBA fan. Like when you think of the perks, like that's gotta be of all the things that came with succession, you, you can sit wherever you want in an NBA game now. That's probably the greatest gift of succession. You know, sit, sitting on the wood. Come on. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Except the Nets Celtics. I, except the next Nets Celtics playoff series. You, I know you ran in some trouble there. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't great. That wasn't great because I'm not a Celtics fan. Um, I'm not even a Nets fan, but my best buddy, Chris, Chris Mintzblas loves the Celtics. I'm from New York. I felt, you know, I was like, I'm going to go support him, but also not cheer for the Celtics because I'm a Warriors fan uh, and we're sitting at the Nets bench. So it was a, it was a tricky one to tricky line to walk there. But I would say my, one of the greatest moments, honestly in life, but definitely as a, as an NBA a lover of the game at the end of that game, I think it was game three of that series and the nets are down by a few points. It's maybe like four or five minutes left in the, in the fourth quarter. Chris and I are sitting at one of these like, you know, kind of tables, like a scores table that's not being used. Also where they keep all the lotions and creams and things. So guys are always coming over and, and moisturizing their hands and, shaking powders and stuff right in front of us. That's also sort of a weird part, but, um, but towards the end of the game, Kyrie and KD sit on this table, basically, you know, in, in front of us and, and KD is in the middle and I'm kind of on the right side of this scorer's table. And I kind of lean over like, I'm tired too. You know, what a tough game, uh, <laughs> man. Yeah. It's been exhausting sitting here and watching, uh, so I kind of lean over, Katie's sitting there. They're trying to figure out how to, how to get out of the hole. And he looks over at me and I look at him. We give each other a nod. He puts his pound, he puts his, uh, his fist out. I put mine out and we have a silent bro moment where I hope what was conveyed through my eyes was 
you're one of the greatest alive. You're, you know, I, I was trying to affirm him in a moment of mm-hmm. how the f- are we going to win this game? Um, but, but that was one of the coolest things ever. And Chris, like Chris was basically like directly behind Katie and he, and after Katie and I pound, I look at Chris and he's, he's staring at me. He goes, what the f- just happened? And I was like, dude, I don't know. It just happened. It was magic. He's like, how did you, I looked up and you're pounding KD. They're losing the game. What are you doing? It was just, that was, that was a very special moment. And your way of thanking him for the two warrior championships, all of that in that moment, I imagine. Yep. Yep. Totally. Totally. So many, so many hours of watching him and, and, and loving the way he played in golden state. Um, you know, what an, what an incredible player still to watch. I'm such a big fan. So yeah, that was good. That was a good one. That was a good one. Nick, beyond the acting, beyond the acting and these long NBA seasons, which are grueling for you. Now we've got an off season and which probably makes, it's probably helpful now that you'll, you'll go and I know you'll start filming here um, later this year for season four. Actually but- a couple weeks. Oh, and yeah, end of June we're we're, end we're of June. starting season four. Yeah, yeah. But you're doing your own. You're developing. You've got a couple of things in the hopper. One of them, which was just announced, maybe a month, maybe a couple of months ago, HBO is developing a, an indie music, kind of like it from the indie music scene of the two thousands. Um that you're developing, writing, working on, that's coming down the road. And then mm-hmm. you're doing more writing. Like that's, that's a bigger part of, of, of your career right now. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I um, I want to make things, you know, I want to, I want to create things and, and, and direct. And um, I've been so inspired by being on succession and, you know, learning from the produce, you know, Jesse, the producers, the directors, the, just the way that show is made is it's just incredible. And, um, and I think I want to, uh, you know, I want to make something. And, and so I've got a few projects that, um, that I'm writing and yeah, one of them is this show for HBO, a half hour, um, for HBO about this, this indie band, you know, 2005, grinding it out on the road, you know, living in their van and, um, and struggling to make enough money to eat the gas station food and, you know, peeing in jugs and, and just the sort of disgusting life, uh, you know, of, of living on the road and playing music and trying to make it happen. And so it's about, it's about one band. And I think it's, um, it's been amazing to, to meet people from that era, talk about it, research it. Um, you know, we'll be creating music for this band. Some, you know, someone will help us sort of invent a band from 2005 and maybe emulate Arcade Fire or, or you know, Modest Mouse. We feel like maybe there's some Modest Mouse in there. There might be might be a little strokesy. So there's so many aspects that are just really cool, and it's like a show on the road. It's like you know, it's going to feel cinematic. You're going to, we're going to go into parts of America that don't often get seen. So, so that one's really exciting. And 
the other thing I'm writing is a, is a film that I will direct and star in. And, um, and that is super exciting. I mean, I just, you know, I just want to keep evolving, keep trying new things. Writing is not something I've been doing for, for more than a few years, but it's, you know, I think it's so helped by reading basically the best scripts I've ever read in succession. And, um, and, and going from here, you know, once, at some point, uh, you know, I, I won't be able to be Greg anymore. And, and so I'm enjoying trying to figure out what to, what to do next and how to keep shape shifting. Nick, this has been awesome. We've been looking forward to doing this. Uh, I'm excited. I know you're going to go into, like you said, a couple of weeks, you're headed into filming for season four of succession. Uh, and we'll, yeah. I know we'll be talking some, Probably a little free agency in early July. See if some mm -hmm. of those Warrior extensions can get done, right? Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, they got time on those. They got plenty of time to get those done. Uh, Kavon Looney, you got to mm. keep him. Get James Weissman he healthy this summer. And yeah, what do you hear about James Weissman? What do you I, I hear that he should, he's, should be in summer league. He should be playing there. He's... He hasn't played very many games. Think about that. How many teams could get have the second pick in the draft really get nothing out of him for two years, and and mm. no one's talking about it. Um, you're you're not missing it on the floor. Uh, you're not. Listen, he's he's going to feel like found money when he starts to contribute and play. And he's a very talented player. I think he's determined to get back on the court. And and you know, he's still so young. There's a lot of upside there. So I think sometimes you forget he's there and you think of, and you talked about a Kaminga and Moody and, and Weissman. And, you know, I think last year there was, you know, some thought and the Warriors ultimately pushed back on this, which was they would package these young guys to go get another, you know, established veteran player. They don't need to. Jordan Poole's evolved and become that. And so they're in, mm -hmm. they're in great shape and they have these like two parallel You've got the the championship group, and then you've got this younger group coming up um, that mm -hmm. can bridge a future. Very few teams, almost nobody, can do what they're doing and have two sort of um, eras that you can evolve into as as Steph and Clay and Draymond, you know, eventually, you know, head into the sunset. So it's a, yeah. good, it's a good time to be a Warriors fan. I love it, man. I'm addicted to it. I love, I love that team. I, I hope to meet those guys someday. I don't know. I think, I think I it's won't coming. know where to start. I won't know where to start. <laughs> you know. Um, um, you know, it's not man, like it's, being. It's, it's not like being on Honorage where you could get guys cameos. You can't do it on Succession. Like the Honorage years, yeah. right? They could get like if they were a Lamar Odom fan, they could get them in there. They got Brady in there, right? But like that's not happening. You're not. It's just, it's not happening. No, I mean, unless Greg gets courtside seats, you know, his first courtside seats and spills a drink onto the floor, um, injures one of the players, you know, as they, you know, Steph gets injured, you know, slips on it, and then maybe they become best friends through Steph's rehab. That's a kind of a cool, huge arc for Steph Curry. If well, there, the there was... HBO um, did do that with Larry David and Shaq. Remember, he brought the Seinfeld episodes to the hospital. Shaq like Seinfeld, and curb, um, and curb I don't, your enthusiasm. I, I didn't see that one. Yeah, he tripped. He tripped Shaq courtside at a Laker game. 
Um, oh, wow. Shaq had knee surgery. Larry got booed out of Staples. It's exactly how you would imagine. Oh, my God. Go. I just said that storyline. Wow. <laughs> Maybe I've seen it and I forgot. And it just... I thought uh, I was coming up with a, an original idea, but um, that's great. Nick, thank you for doing this. This is a lot of fun. I know we'll, we'll talk again soon, and uh, uh, good luck with filming. Season four of Succession is, is coming, everybody. Thanks, Woj. been so great, man. Thanks for inviting me, and um, I'll talk basketball with you endlessly. So thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Nick Braun. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst, and the Adam Schefter Podcast with Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the views from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last-minute seats. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, and redeem code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed.